Would you please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 7? And thank you for your enthusiasm with uh, hearing, hearing about the, uh, what's going on in our community. So Romans chapter 7, I'll be focusing on verses 7 through 11, but for, con- uh, through, excuse me, through 13, uh, but for context, it's probably best to start at least at verse 4. So that's where I'll begin, verse 4, 7, 4 of Romans reading through 13. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you also were put to death in relation to the law through the body of Christ so that you may no longer so that you may belong to another. You belong to him who was raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions aroused through the law were working in us to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law since we have died to what held us so that we may serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the old letter of the law. What should we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. And sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life again, and I died. The commandment that was meant for life resulted in death for me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and just and good. Therefore, did what is good become death to me? Absolutely not. On the contrary, sin, in order to be recognized as sin, was producing death in me through what was good. So that through the commandment, Sin might become sinful beyond measure. Please pray with me. Father, we first of all thank you for the gift of life. We thank you for eternal life. We thank you that We know that we are not the one who secured our eternal life, but Jesus did. So we thank you for sending Jesus into the world to secure what we could not. Lord, we have gathered to hear from you. And so we ask you that I would decrease and that you would increase. We ask you that you would speak to us. We ask you that you would give us understanding about the set of passages that we've read 
we ask you that you will help us to be able to apply what we are focusing on this morning to our lives. We ask you that we would be filled with gratitude in our hearts for what you've done in light of what we hear this morning. We want to live for your glory, and we thank you for the opportunity to do so through Jesus. In his name we pray and we thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, last week, uh, Kurt handled the uh, first through the sixth verse of this passage, and basically what he uh, summarized the things that was that uh, Paul was showing that it is not sinful to, to transition from the way that the Jews used to serve God before Jesus to the way that they are called to serve God now that Jesus has come. And so in doing that and seeing, and seeing, and seeing that, that, that it's not sinful to do that, the question naturally arises for Paul, uh, okay, if, if it's not sin to serve God in this way now, well, what about the old way? What does that say about the way we were serving God? What does that say about the law? Because as the Jew would understand it, um, serving God meant keeping the law. And when you think of law, Curtis said this before, I'll just mention it too. When you think of the law, think of the Mosaic law. The Mosaic law is the law that Moses received from God. You can summarize those in the Ten Commandments, but then if you read the Old Testament, you see that the, the law is like there are many details to the law. So the Ten Commandments are a good summary to help us like remember uh, what the law embodies um, for it would be very difficult, even though there were some who had, like Paul would have been one, who, uh, you know, memorized the whole Torah. Um, but, but we're not from that culture. We haven't memorized that. So that's a lot. If we look at our Bibles, many people oftentimes say and think that the Bible is a rule book, right? That's because there's so many things in there that, you're, that you are not supposed to do or certain ways you're supposed to do things. The law contained those kinds of things, but we are not under the law. So Paul says, in essence, that, okay, it's okay for you to serve God in this new way. So, as I said, it naturally begs the question that he raises in verse 7. What should we say then? Is the law sinful? Uh, so first, I guess I should explain um, <laughs> Uh, what we're going, how we're going to attack this. Because this, this you know, in looking over this, uh, this passage, Paul kind of toggles between what he's saying about sin and what he's saying about the law. So it can kind of be like, okay, the law, sin, sin, the law. You know, it's just he's like, you know, kind of, in my opinion, all over the place. And uh, that's not a dig on Paul because I'd be like that. So I'm not taking <laughs> on Paul. <laughs> so... Um, so I think the best way to handle it to make sure that we that we understand is just to walk through um, what it says um, and then also then to summarize it. And then hopefully we'll have a way in summarizing it to apply what we've heard as people who have not do not know the law like Paul knew it. And like the people to whom Paul was writing, because we don't know the law like that, but there's still some good, great 
um, application of what Paul is saying to our lives that I think will free us up to be able to praise and thank God for uh, what he's accomplished for us through Jesus Christ. So Paul first asked the question, it's really one question, is the law sin? Is the law Is it sin? And he asks this because it's a natural thing to think, but then he answers it in a very definitive manner. He says, absolutely not. There's no way that the law can be sin. As a matter of fact, I'm going to show you, I'm going to flip it. I'm going to put it on the flip side for you. On the contrary, he says, the law does something that you probably You would have to pay close attention. You would have to scrutinize it. You would have to make observations to see this, that the law, it could seem like sin because now we're moving away from it, but it's not sin. You know what? The law shows us something. The law reveals something. And what the law reveals is that it reveals what sin is. So a basic definition of sin that I've heard since uh, whenever I started going to church and I embraced this definition of sin is that uh, sin uh, is, is any, you know, word, thought, or deed that is outside of the revealed will of God. That's uh, a good definition of sin. Paul says that if it were not for the law, he would not know He would not have known what sin was. And then he says, let me give you an example. Coveting. I would not have known what coveting was if it weren't for the law. Right? That's what he says. It's still in verse 7. Right? At the end. Do not covet. And then he says in verse 8. And sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind. The law reveals what sin is, but then it also reveals the extent to which sin is active in our lives. So Paul didn't just covet. He realized that they were like flavors of coveting that he embraced because sin was in him. So it wasn't just, oh, yeah, man, I, I, I want that. It's like, nah, man, I want that phone. I want, I want Nahalios. I want his hat. I'll take his phone. He has a nice car, too. Give me the keys. It, I, I want everything. I have flavors of, of sin. But I wouldn't even have known that, that that was wrong if it weren't for the law that says coveting is wrong. It just comes natural to us, right? You know, the Bible talks about how there's a way that seems right to a man, right? Things that seem right, things that seem okay. What's wrong with this or what's wrong with that? What's wrong? Man, that's a nice hat. That hat is like my favorite color, which really in real life, that's my favorite color. (laughs) That phone is smaller than mine. Maybe people would think I'm younger if I had a smaller phone. We, we can rationalize away, we can rationalize sin away. We can make excuses, we can justify, but the law does not change. The law says coveting is coveting. 
And the law reveals once we start trying to explain away our transgression of it, the law shows us that not only do we do it, but we are pretty much consumed with sin. So the reformers, they talk about depravity. That's what they're talking about. It's the extent to which sin is at work within humanity apart from God. And it doesn't matter who you are, where you grow up at, how many parents are in your home, what your socioeconomic status is. That doesn't matter. Everyone, David says, is born in sin, starting with me. That's the person I'm concerned about first all the time is me. That's the person I can do something about by the grace of God now that Christ has come. So I say that just so everyone knows that when, we, when I'm talking about sin, I'm not excluding myself. I'm including myself because I'm a human being just like everyone else. So it can be confusing. It can be confusing because like the, 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 the law, it look, look at what, what it says in verse 8. It says, um, not only did it produce every kind of coveting, but first it says, and sin seizing an opportunity. So sin sees the, 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 the command of God. Sin sees what God requires. Sin see what, sees what God is saying. Sin sees this, and sin, as we'll see later, is independent of God. So it really doesn't matter what God is saying is just sin wants to serve self more than God all the time. That's what sin wants to do. So it sees an opportunity because of what is commanded by God. And it says, rather than glorify God, I'm going to glorify myself. So I must stand against the command. The New Testament articulates it in, in Galatians 5 as a war between the flesh and the spirit. They're opposed to one another. And see, where I grew up, sometimes there would be people who would be obviously opposed to one another. And anytime they would see each other, they would have hostile words to say to one another or hostile looks. Their body language would speak even if they didn't say anything. What you looking at? You know, like that, that, that's what I'm talking, like that kind of thing, right? So if you, if you grew up in, you may not have grown up in a place like that, but in, in a place like that, you see like, man, those two, man, they just, always, they're always beefing. That's might be, they might say that now, and maybe that's beefing is played out. But anyway, slang gets recycled in the DMV, so it'll be back even if it's out of style. Um, <laughs> but they're always against each other, always looking at each other, face all tied up when they see the other one even if it's from a far distance. Well, the, that has nothing on the flesh and the spirit. Those two are always worn against each other. And this passage lets us know that sin, sin is aggressively against the law. Sin is aggressively against any standard that God puts in place. Well, why is that the case? See, I, I think that even before, even if we go to the, to the New, Old Testament, even before the Spirit was given to God's people, sin was aroused by the Spirit of the law. Because the Spirit, the law comes from God, right? So the Spirit behind it is holy. And as we'll see, it's holy, it's good, it's just. That's what the law is. But, the, but sin, 
being in opposition to the spirit of God. Even before the spirit was given to God's people, sin used the commands of the law to rebel against the law to the detriment of the sinner. So sin aroused by the spirit of the law used the commands of the law to rebel against the law to the detriment of the sinner. And the sinner being blinded just lumps the two together. The law and sin is just like this to the sinner. But Paul is saying they're not like this. They're like this. And they're opposed to one another. You just can't see it because you're sinful. Yeah. You can't see it. So it's just, oh, it's the law's fault. No, it's not the law's fault. It's sin's fault. But we, apart from God, we're sinful. So sin seized the opportunity through the commandment and produced in him every kind, coveting of every kind. And some of us know a little bit about, about being you know, ensnared in sins of all kind. We know about that. So Paul says, no, no, the sin, the law isn't sin. The law, it, it exposes sin. Sin sees an opportunity through the command to rebel, and it does. And when sin produces its full effect, it results in death. Now, what's confusing is that in verse 9, Paul says something that is, um, is, is confusing. Yes, confusing. Verse 9, he says, um, Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the command came, sin sprang to life again. In the beginning of verse 10, it says, and I died. Now, how was Paul once alive apart from the law? Right? How, how, how was that even, even possible? Well, really, there's not clarity in Scripture as to how, that, how he could say that. Um, scripture doesn't go into detail about uh, what once alive means. Um, so there is speculation, um, and there are a couple of options. It could mean that Paul was referring to a time that he that be, a time before he knew the law, like when he was a very young boy um, and didn't know the law, and that he felt like he was able to serve God then. Um, it uh, some people think that that Paul is referring to his pre-converted mindset when there was no conviction brought by the Holy Spirit. Um, to show him uh, that he was once alive apart from the law. Or maybe um, Paul is speaking as Adam or as humanity in general before the command came. Or he could be speaking as a Hebrew being given the Mosaic law, like before the Mosaic law came. Now, regardless of which of these uh, uh, you would ascribe to, um, the bottom line is that the law, that when the law came, sin rebelled against the law. 
Sin deceived mankind. Sin brought the consequence of death with it. So regardless of, of when he was alive uh, to without, apart from the law, when the command came, he was deceived. He rebelled, and the consequence of death came upon him. But look at what he says. Even though death comes, look at, look at the, the, after it says, and I died in verse 10, look at what he says about the commandment. The comm- that does not, it, hit the effect does not uh, negate the reason for which God sent the law, though. So he still says that the commandment that was meant for life resulted in death. So it does result in death. But look, he says that it's, it's meant for life. I remember once I had a conversation with my grandmother um, who told me at one point in time, she was like, you know what, Mike? Um, I used to think that God was just after me, like that he was just like looking for me to do something wrong, you know? And sometimes people can feel like that when they, if you look at the Bible as a rule book, then it's hard not to think that God is not trying to get you because he covers everything. So, so it can be hard not to think like, man, the Lord, he, he just trying to get me, man, you know? But that's not, he's not trying to get you like that. He's trying to get you to come to himself. So he's not trying to say, oh, yeah, I see you sending good. All right, Mike, send the day. I'll get that dude, boy. That's that's not how how God is. No, the commandment was meant for life. It was meant to give us life. Remember that when when, when the fruit was eaten, um, when it was bitten, when it was taken, that death entered the scene for all of humanity. And then then when you you get to uh, um, Genesis 5, um, you see that, that everyone, you know, they give you the, the, the genealogy so you know who was alive. But one thing that everybody, their, their, their ages are different. But one thing that they all have in common is that they all die. So you see that death has come into the scene because of sin. So one, death comes because of sin. It doesn't come because of anything else. But the commandment comes because it's meant to give life. But that which was meant to give life because of sin, Paul says it's resulting, it's, it resulted in death for me. So the law was meant to show us how to please God. The flesh governed by sin only wants to please itself. God gives the law to reveal sin and its harmful, rebellious self. Sin rebels against uh, Against the law, making it seem that the, like the law itself is deficient rather than the sin in us is the deficiency. So Paul, speaking from this sentiment, says that the commandment was meant for life that resulted in death. But this death or this separation from God that Paul describes is not the result of the law, but of sin. So Paul doesn't say that the commandment was death to him. He says that it resulted in death for him. There is a difference. If the commandment was meant for death, then that would be what was death for him. But the commandment wasn't meant for death. It was meant for life. It resulted in death because of sin. See, look at the language that Paul uses. I mean, he's going to talk about how Sin seized an opportunity again later on in the passage that, we, that, we, that we're going through. But he's talked about how when the commandment came, he was once uh, alive apart from the law. Then when the commandment came, uh, sin sprang to life. 
Look, look, look at the activity there. Look at it again. I'm sorry, my background is just violence, so violence just easily comes to my mind because I've seen so much of it. Um, but, but it's like when I remember once I was walking in the, uh, when Capitol Plaza was uh, Capitol Plaza, back in the day, the, the, the I'm so old, I remember when that. Um, and I was with my mom walking in the, in the mall, and I saw this guy that used to live around my way. And so uh, we hadn't seen him in like a real long time, right? So now we're older teenagers. We probably, he probably moved like when we were in, before we got into middle school. So, so he's walking, he's ahead of me. And so I'm coming up, you know, kind of fast because I want to say, hey, what's up, man? You know, I think I'm going to give him a pleasant surprise. Why did my man turn around like this? Just walking. Real smooth. And then he came and his joint was, I was like, hey. I was like, John, man, John, John, what's up, man? He's like, oh, Michael, hey, man, what's up, man? It was like, man, that brother was rated like, blah, 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 you know? Um, but I probably don't know, really, I probably can't fight now. But back then I could fight, so it probably would have been a good fight. But um, I, if I, if I could have withstood the first punch. Um, but, but, but it's like that. It's, sin is like that. As soon as the command comes, it's fist balled up, ready to, ah, but. That, that's what sin is like towards what God means for life, for us. That's how sin is. And all of us have sin in us even with Christ. So imagine before Christ. Thank God for Jesus. Imagine before Christ. I'm sure you don't have to. If you're like me, you don't have to imagine. It's like, yeah, I remember like it was yesterday. Lord, thank you for your grace. Um, but, even, but even if you didn't sin like, like the ways I'm thinking of, the sin in you is just as detrimental just as detrimental because you still be and you still are apart from God. Sin has a way of working that it would help us to remember the mechanics of it. James 1, 14 and 15 is a good passage to let us just see how sin works. Before in verse 13, James makes the statement that that God doesn't he doesn't tempt people with sin. That's what he's saying. And so then he says, just so we understand and don't get it twisted. He's letting us know how things work as it relates to sin. Verse 14 says, but each person is tempted when he is drawn away. And enticed by what his own evil desire. Okay, that's that's how sin works. It's not it's not that somebody puts something there. I mean, man, if you if if you <laughs> yeah, if 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 you don't want it, you can't be enticed by it. Right? If you're hungry, somebody can offer you whatever it is, no, not crackers, because we want something good. You know, we want something scrumptious. Somebody can say, man, let's go to follow the child. If y'all know what that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, 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 I got that. You, I'll treat you. People might try to make room for that meal right there, though, just for the, just for the aroma. Okay, that's, that might be too much for y'all. Um, but, but if someone said, you know, if, someone, if you're hungry and you have no room for it, you have no appetite for it. But if the appetite is there and the offer is there, then more than likely you'll pursue it. Sin is like that. If it weren't for the appetite, there would be no enticement. There would be none. But James says, 
Each person, not some people, not certain people, but each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Those are the mechanics of sin. Right there. That's how sin works. It doesn't say anything about a command here. It doesn't say anything about the law here. It says everything about our own evil desires, right? And then if you remember, even in the, in the garden where the account of the first sin is, when the serpent asks Eve, when she dies, she eats of the fruit. And she says, yeah, we will. We shouldn't even touch it. And then verse 4 of chapter 3 of Genesis says, the serpent speaking, you won't, you, well, no, you will not die. Verse 5, in fact, God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. <laughs> the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was delightful to look at and it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. That little piece, that back piece just really is telling that she could look at food and tell that it, would, it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. I don't know where she got that from. I haven't heard anyone else say that they could look at a food and say, hey, man, this joint will give you wisdom. Um, but the way that sin works, though, is that there's this independence from God to get what we want from God or what we want, period. And then we start deceiving ourselves. We start going, we start playing things out like way down the road. We start playing things out that couldn't possibly, you couldn't possibly know. Well, if I do this, then I'll make this amount of money. Then I'll be able to do that and I'll be able to, and then, uh, maybe. Before I go off on a tangent, which I was about to, um, uh, I'm known for that. I told you, I'm like, I'm like Paul. I go all over the place. Um, but to rein myself in, I think this passage just shows us, if we remember what it was like in the garden, right? If we remember, uh, we, we're not filling on everything that happened in the garden, but the fact that after they sinned, um, Adam recognizes that God is coming and he hides from God. It, it, it leads me to believe that that was something that God did normally, that he usually came and he fellowshiped with the human beings, that that was something they, they did. Then if that was the case, then, then wisdom could have been obtained from God himself in a way that God wants to expose you to wisdom. So that you get not good and evil, but you only get good. And that's his plan to only give us good. But our independence from God introduces something else. So I understood what sin was before I came to Solid Rock Church. But I don't think I understood. So I understood it by the definition I told you about. But I did not understand sin from this perspective. Anything done in independence from God. 
That means talk about depravity. Now, I understand how depraved I am now. Because there might be some things that I might do sort of neutrally that I need to scrutinize to see, like, now I'm not saying, don't, don't, I, I can hear somebody thinking, because I'm thinking it. Um, <laughs> there, there can be some neutral things, but you know the point I'm trying to make, so don't, don't go, well, what about this? Don't argue with me. All right, don't argue, don't, don't argue, don't argue. I'm trying to help. I ain't trying to argue, I'm so, so I'm not trying to be contentious here. Um, but but, the, the, but the, independ- the problem is the independence from God. That's the piece. It wasn't being as wise as God. God was willing to share his wisdom with his creation. But when you pursue it on your own, when you pursue it apart from God, then that's where problems begin. And all of the evil that we see here today is because of the independence from God, the the, the act of independence from God on that day. Eating does not seem like a big problem to me. I mean, hey, man, it was a piece of whatever. But that wasn't the problem. The problem was its independence from God and its pursuit outside of God for its own thing, its own accomplishments, its own fill in the blank. That's where the problem is, is this independence from God. It's the, it's the, it's the child that learns how to walk and that never wants you to pick him or her up again. Or always, well, no, let me do it. You know, that's, that's how we are as human beings. So, yes, let me eat it. It looks good for wisdom. So, sin works in that it, 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 it offers independence from God. And it appeals to our desire to be independent of him. And so when the command comes, that rebellious streak of independence rises up. And as he says in verse 11, for sin, again, there it is again, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, an opportunity to do what? An opportunity to be independent of God. Deceive me. Deceive me how? It deceived me by saying there was something good in being independent of God that I could, I could grasp hold of uh, better than if I, if I were dependent upon God. Deceived me, deceived Eve. You'll be like God. She wasn't like God. We're not born like God. I mean, sure, we're made in his image, but that image is distorted through our sin. And through our sinfulness, through the sin that David referenced when he said that he was he was born in sin and shaped in iniquity. He was conceived, I think one version says conceived in sin. So you can't not get away from sin because it's there from our conception. It's one of the things, unfortunately, that we pass along to our children. They may have a nose like you, eyes like you, uh, complexion like you, or like me. But they're also going to have sin like me. And some of it is going to look very similar. And so thank God that there's an opportunity to help them navigate uh, those temptations. But we pass it along. We can't help it because it's in us. 
So Paul says that sin, seizing the opportunity that the commandment presents, deceived him, and through it, it killed him. Killed him, meaning that he was not able to please God by keeping the law because something in him would rebel against the law and say, I don't want the law. Like the little child wants to get down and run around and do its own thing. And that's okay for the little child, but when it comes to us and God, that's not okay. Verse 12, then, so then... The law is holy. So he, again, he's toggling. He's, he's, there's sin. It sees the opportunity uh, through the commandment. It deceived me. It, 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 it killed me. But, 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 the, but that's sin. But the law, in verse 12, he says, so then the law is holy. It's not the commandment that kill, kills. It's the sin that seizes the opportunity because it rebels against the commandment. But the law itself is holy. The commandment is holy and it's just and it is true. Excuse me, good, excuse me. Sin is so wretched. Sin is so bad that it makes that which was, 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 was given to give life, that which was holy, that which is just, and that which is good, it makes it seem like there's it's something bad. Paul says it in verse 13, therefore, what is did, what is good become death to me because it could seem like it. He's toggling between and it's like, OK, well, all right, so did what's good become death to me because it kind of seems like it. But what does he say? He doesn't just say no. He emphatically says absolutely not. On the contrary, sin in order to be recognized as sin. Remember, the law, the commandment reveals uh, that sin is present. That sin is a factor. Sin was producing, uh, in order for sin to be recognized as sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that through the commandment, sin might become sinful beyond measure. So what he's saying there is that, okay, well, sin, sin has, 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 has put a Halloween mask on the law. I can't recognize the law from sin, man. Who's that? Who's that? Who's that? To the degree that one could even have these questions about the law, which is good and holy and meant for life, that we could say the law brings death. And even in some places and other places where Paul writes, he says that. But this passage lets us know that he doesn't mean it the way we would naturally take it. He's explaining everything here line by line. There he's, he's summarizing. The law is meant for good. It's meant to reveal. See, see the heavens declare the glory of God. So, there's, so they can let us know that God exists. But they can't let us know what pleases God and what doesn't please God. The law can do that. It can let us know what God is like, what pleases him, what displeases him, how to get in his good graces, how to fall out of him, all of that. Creation can't do that. So the law is meant for good. It reveals something about, about God. But the sin in us can't handle the law. <laughs> can't handle the law. Can't handle the law. So we rebel against it. And so the law not only reveals sin so that we can recognize sin, 
But because the law puts that mask, excuse me, because sin, excuse me, puts that law, puts a mask on law, it shows us the depth to which sin is sinful. So he says it, that the commandment was given at the end of verse 11, uh, 13, that sin might become sinful beyond measure. There's no way to measure how sinful sin is. If it can take the law which was meant for good, if it could take the law which was holy, if it could take the law which was just, if it could take it and make it seem like it's something it's not, then sin must be bad in all the ways that bad is, can be. It's powerful. It's deceiving. It's terrible. And it's always present. It's always around. Look at what it does to the law. It makes people confused about what the law is for. But no, the law is meant to reveal that sin and to bring us to a point where we where we wonder how can we be free of this sin? How can we free ourselves from the influence of this sin that as Hebrew, the author of Hebrew says so in the King James, so easily besets us? How can we break free? Sin seizes the opportunity to, to rebel. Uh, it makes us dead. It transforms the, off, the offer of life to a pathway of death. Sin is sinful beyond measure. That's why the Old Testament people of God, they looked forward to the day when uh, they would reap the benefits of the promise that was promised in Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27, where uh, the prophet says that God said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That day, that day when he does that, he says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. This was a promise that the Old, people, Old Testament people of God were looking forward to because they understood the dynamic of the law and how it works and sin within them. They didn't know how they would be free either. And they had no hope except for promises like these that, 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 that prognosticated a day when God would just change your heart. Brothers and sisters, we live in that day. Because Jesus Christ has come and he's caused us not only to live in a certain way, but we have died to sin as the sixth chapter of Romans says. And sin does not no longer has dominion over us because of Jesus Christ. So, yes, sin is terrible. And yes, we still sin. But thank God that we are not under sin's dominion anymore because of Jesus Christ. See, John said this. He said, for <clears throat> I 
This is what love for God is. To keep his commands. And it says his commands are not a burden. See, John can say that. Excuse me. He can say that because now the command. I don't know how you view the commands of God. I'll tell you how I view them. Excuse me. Sorry, y'all. So I'll tell you how I view them. If I believe that the, com- that the commands are supposed to be life, that they're holy, that they're good, then I don't view the commands as God trying to get me like my grandmother said. I view the commands as, well, man, by the Spirit of God, that must be achievable. Now, I might not be there, but instead of being a downer, it's an upper for me. It's like, okay, so it's possible to not want Julio's car, his phone, his hat, and anything else that he has. Like, it's possible for me to be content in Christ. Like, that's actually possible. And it's not only possible to be done, but it's possible for me to enjoy doing that because it pleases God through Jesus Christ. So the commands aren't meant to like, hey, you can't do this and you can't do that. But I believe that the commands, there's a part of them that if they are supposed to be life, if they, if they show me how to please God and that's what I want to do, then they are life to me. They should be life to us. They shouldn't be burdensome, as John said. They won't be burdensome because, why? Not because I'm so good, but because I love God and I, I, I want to strive for that. I understand, it's, I understand I'm the first to tell you I'm not perfect. I will be the first and close, a close second will be my wife that will t- tell you if they're not superseded by my children um, in front of her. Um, but I'm not perfect. But I'm so glad I don't have to be perfect. Because somebody's already cut that path for me. And even, my, even in my imperfection, even my prayers, he's sitting at the right hand of his father, whose standard is only perfect, and he's making those requests perfect. He's causing that, that the, when, when, when the prayers go up to him, he's causing that incense to be burned before the presence of God so that those prayers come up and they're a good thing in God's sight, despite my imperfections, despite your imperfections. Jesus changes the entire game. The reason that, that, that it's okay to follow Jesus is because he's accomplished what we could never accomplish. And if you've come here this morning and you, you are just aware of how much you don't measure up to God, good, that's great. That's what the law was supposed to do. You, nor I, nor anyone in here measures up to God's standard. Only one being has ever measured up to God's standard. Only one being is around the throne with the Father. With the one on the throne, there's a lamb who was slain. And that lamb who was slain was Jesus Christ. He was slain not because he sinned, but because we sinned. And he was slain so that he could show that death had no power over him. So after the third day, he got up from the grave. So he did that to die no more. He was sacrificed one time for all sin. 
So if you came in here and you're aware of your sin, I want to make you more aware of the one who takes your sin away. And that person is Jesus Christ. That's who we preach. That's who we serve. That's how the commandments become not a burden, but they become a a life. They become a, a standard that we strive for. And oh, yeah, we might fall. But you know what? Proverbs said, you know, we might fall seven times, but we get back up, dust ourselves off, and we just keep on running. Why? Because Christ is infusing us with the power to live in a manner that pleases him. That's who's doing it, not we ourselves. If we try to live according to the law, it ain't going to work. We must depend on the power that God provides through Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God. And this morning, if you didn't come in here with that kind of power, if you didn't come in here with your life submitted to Christ, I would invite you to remember, to remember. My grandmother didn't keep on believing. See, when she said that about, she said, I used to think that God was trying to get me. Hopefully, if you came in here this morning thinking that God was trying to get you, hopefully you're leaving this morning knowing that he's not trying to get you in a negative way. He's trying to get you in a positive way because he sent his son. When you and I had, weren't even a sparkle in our father's eye, he sent his son while we were still sinners. He died for the ungodly. He died for us. His sacrifice was received by God, so he got up on that third day. And now he offers people a hand. If you're tired of living independent from God, you can come to him through me. You know how sometimes people are intimidated to go before other people and like if they have children. I had one child, man. Now I grew up in a household where like when you go over somebody's house, wherever the room is that people can sit in, you go in that room and you sit down your friend, you know, they do whatever they do. But, like, you ain't go in their kitchen and go in the refrigerator. You ain't open their cabinets. You ain't go upstairs. You never went upstairs. <laughs> all right, so I, people laughing must be black because I'm telling you, man, all of us. <laughs> that's, that's just how we grew up. Like, you ain't, you, ain't, you ain't do that. Nah, you ain't do that. So it was, and I just thought, like, those kind of principles, I must have thought they just transfer. Because I don't know how my daughter, my, one of my daughters, I have four daughters, so I won't tell you which one. But anytime people would come over, they'd be like, come on, let me give you a tour of the house. And they'd be like, please don't take them in the toy room. Please don't, don't, don't take them to that room. And of course, the toy room might be the first. This is where we play with our toys. And of course, they don't clean up their toys. They just play with them. And it's like. If anybody's intimidated of God. Jesus offers you his hand to come to God. You don't have to be intimidated. He became a man, a human being like you, tempted in all ways like you, like me, but he never sinned. Wow. Man, one of his brothers became one of his disciples. Now, just think about that. Your brother that you grew up with, if there's ever an opportunity to sin, it's with siblings. <laughs> but his brother became one of his disciples. He's the son of God. And he says, come with me and you can know my father and he will receive you. 
if that's you, I would ask you that you would please make sure you do not leave without coming to see me because I want to show you some passages that I hope will help you to go before God and never leave him. And never leave him. Never leave him. Because you know what? If you come to him, he won't leave you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the provision of Jesus Christ, the Lamb slain for our sins, the only one worthy to open the scrolls and unlock all of history on its trajectory to the point where the dwelling place of God will once again be with man. And we won't hide from you then. We'll delight in you. Lord, I pray that you will please be at work in hearts and minds. I pray that anyone who came in here thinking that you were out to get them, that you would Please draw them to yourself even right now. Continue to do so. Lord, I pray that anyone who thought that the law was bad in and of itself, I pray that they would be able to see, no, the law came from you. It's holy. It's just. It's good. It's meant to give life. But that the sin in us, well, it ain't having life. But thank you. Thank you that Jesus came to give us life and to give it to us more abundantly. That we would not just exist, but we would exist and live under the banner of God himself. I pray that you would help us open our eyes to our sin. May we see it as sinful beyond measure. And may we grow to hate it as you do. May we increasingly love what you love and hate what you hate, Lord. Would you continue to put your laws in our hearts that keeping your commandments would not be a burden because we love you these things in Jesus' name. And we thank you.